Well, as we open God's Word together, we'll take a moment to dismiss our children to Kingdom Kids. If you are ages 4 through 9, we've got a program that is especially for you. And those uh, younger ones are going to head back to the foyer, and teacher will take them across to the CE Center. Parents, of course, you will remember to pick them up right after the service, and we appreciate that very much, especially our Kingdom Kids workers appreciate that very much. You are going to be staying here and turning with me to Romans chapter 14, Romans chapter 14 and verses 13, and just sneaking a little bit into chapter 15 is going to be our our, uh, passage this morning. Uh, Last week, we began... Uh, chapter 14, which deals with the challenge of Christians getting along with other Christians. Is that a problem? Sadly, it often is. If we're all trying to, and and sometimes for good reasons, sometimes for bad reasons, petty reasons, you know, Christians are upset about why did they make the carpet this color instead of that color, that's classic. But sometimes there are good reasons to uh, that we just come into disagreements, differences of, of opinions and convictions. We're all trying to live out uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2. How do I live as a living sacrifice to God, fully devoted to God, not conformed to this world, Romans 12, 2, but set apart from it? And then if that's your conviction, your commitment, you're going to be making decisions all the time as you live in this world. How do I live in this moment, in this situation, with these people in a way that honors Christ? And in Paul's day, some of the Jewish believers in Jesus thought it best to continue to observe some of the practices that had set them apart from the non-believing world, things like eating kosher or observing Sabbath. And while that was permissible, it was not wrong to eat kosher or observe Sabbath, it was no longer necessary because of Christ. And then the differences then in how they practiced their faith created tension in the church, as we'll see in this letter of Paul to the Roman believers. And while we may not have the same instincts to follow Old Testament law, we still have uh, among us today uh, differences in convictions on any number of issues as to how we should be devoted to Christ and set apart from the world. And where those issues are clearly spelled out in Scripture, there should, we should be able to, to agree. But some things are not clearly addressed in Scripture. As I said before, if we had details and instru- instructions on every situation, on every generation, this would be a much bigger book. We wouldn't be able to carry it in this morning. Uh, we, we'll get guidelines this morning as we finish chapter 14, but we need to read the whole chapter to really set the stage for the conclusion. So I'll begin reading with chapter, excuse me, verse 1 of chapter 14, though our focus will be 13 and following. Romans 14, verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat everything, or anything, excuse me, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. 
One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living." Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now, here's our focus this week. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died." So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is in, indeed is, is clean. But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin." We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Now, it's breaking off where I don't want to break off. We'll, we'll, we'll cover verses 1 and 2 again next week, but I want you to hear that, to build him up again. That's the same way that uh, we see the paragraph in verse 19, building up the brother. That's, that's what our... Uh, title for the, the morning's message is, Build Up Your Brother. Here's the, the theme, in matters of personal conviction, for God's sake, be constructive. And I hope you hear that. I'm not trying to be flippant. For God's sake. I hope, but, but that's, we, we use important phrases and throw them away like that. That's a, that's a powerful thing, to say, for God's sake. If you say, for Christ's sake, that shouldn't mean something. That's not a, that's, that's not profanity. For God's sake, be constructive. Build up your brother. So these two paragraphs at the end of chapter 14 repeat a lot of the same things. So we're not just going to walk straight through. We'll be moving back and forth quite a bit. And I'm just going to use that summary statement to be our outline. Three parts in matter of personal conviction. For God's sake and be constructive. So there, there's part one, right? In matters of personal conviction, recognize the profound impact of each believer's moral 
compass. Verse 13 begins with therefore, so it's drawing a conclusion from that whole first section, stop passing judgment uh, on your fellow believers, rather instead decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in front of your brother. Now, that's the action he's calling us to. So he's kind of leading, in some sense, with application, although, of course, he's in the, right in the middle of this whole discussion. So there's, there's what we're supposed to do, but, but we really need some more explanation. I mean, what would uh, cause a fellow believer to stumble in their faith? Well, verse 14, it might be hard to follow when he says, well, nothing is unclean. I mean, surely he doesn't mean, well, yeah, you can do anything you want. Uh, we have to follow his train of thought to understand. He's going back to the issue specifically of food in light of Jewish law. He's going right at their different convictions on that particular issue. And two things I want you to notice in verse 14. First, Paul does take a side on the disputed issue. So verse 14 begins, uh, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. He knows he's persuaded. And I think you want to understand persuaded, not just, um, well, I, you know, I'm pretty sure. Uh, you know, I, when I think about it, he's also saying, this is, this is a settled issue for me. I know, and for me, I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus, so more than just a personal thing, that this is, that, that everything, or excuse me, that nothing is unclean in itself. And persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that's, that's what Jesus himself taught. Maybe you remember uh, one example would be uh, Mark chapter 7, verses 15 to 19. Uh, he, he says, I'm going to paraphrase, it's not, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. Food is not going to defile you. It goes in your mouth, into your stomach, and, you know, it exits its own way. But it's what comes out of your mouth that reflects what's your speech, your attitude. That's what reflects what's actually in your heart. That's, That's what's going to defile you. That's what's going to make you unclean. Food is not the issue. We could also remember uh, the story in Acts 10 of Peter and Cornelius and the vision that God gives of him as, as, God is calling Peter to reach out with the gospel to a Gentile. He has a vision where he sees all these, uh, what to Jews were unclean foods, and he's said, the, the voice says, what God has made clean, you don't call common or unclean. Now, with the beginning of, of verse 14, Paul makes clear not all viewpoints on the issue are equally valid, but then we get a bigger surprise. So if he's just already staked his position, but then the rest of the, the verse should surprise us. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. <laughs> if we're, now, if we're not thinking clearly here, uh, carefully, we might assume that, that Paul has just kind of sort of gone, you know, wishy-washy postmodern on us, you know, what, hey, whatever's right for you, you know, or whatever's wrong for you. Uh, if it works for you, that's fine, but it doesn't work for me. He's not doing that. Actually, this is part of the profound impact of each person's conscience, their, uh, your own moral compass. Now, in our popular imagination, uh, the conscience is sometimes portrayed as, you know, a little angel on your shoulder, while you've got, you know, on the other one, a little, you know, demon or something, a, 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 a temptation, uh, trying to get you to do something you shouldn't do, while your conscience is, is over there, you know, trying to uh, desperately get you not to listen to that. Uh, that's has 
not biblical in any way, but the, con- the idea of the conscience is. It's just a popular portrayal. Or maybe you think of Jiminy Cricket, right, from the story of Pinocchio. And always let your conscience be your guide. Give, give a little whistle. Um, he, he, some of us need that help. Uh, you need your conscience. You do. As Paul has taught earlier in Romans, every human being has at least some basic knowledge of God and about right and wrong, even though we may suppress it. People do all the time. Now, we might wish that conscience worked like some innate instinct, like the way geese know which way to go for the winter. It's time to fly south. Uh, but it's not that simple. It's not doesn't work that smoothly or well. This verse, in fact, shows that your moral compass, that you do indeed have, that your moral compass may be off. You can't always trust your instincts. You may feel like something is inappropriate for a Christian when it may be perfectly fine, uh, or vice versa. You may think, oh, well, there's nothing wrong with this, and like, whoa, whoa, whoa that's, not a, that's not something a Christian should do. So how does something that is, in this verse, objectively permissible, it's fine. Uh, this, this food is, is not off-limits. But why does it become off-limits for that person simply because they think it's off-limits? Well, we need to put a couple of things uh, together that Paul says in this chapter. One is earlier, if you look back at verse 5, we saw this last week. Verse 5, when he's talking about, um, well, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Okay, now keep that, keep that in mind. You, whatever your position is, you, you need to be convinced of it. That, that you've got to be sure, uh, you've got to be set on that. Now, verse 23, jump down to verse 23, the very end of the chapter. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because he, his eating, the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So in that verse, verse 23, doubt is not uh, something that is uh, doubt as opposed to faith. Does not mean you're thinking, oh, I have doubts. I'm not sure I believe in God anymore, or I don't know if the Bible is true. It's not that kind of doubt. In, in the context here is, doubt, it means I'm going against my convictions. I'm going, it's going against your conscience. You're, you're a little unsure about what you should do. You're, you have, you're, you're wavering on, oh, should I do this or shouldn't I do it? Well, I'm not sure. I'll just do it anyway. Like, whoa, no, no, stop, stop. And maybe it would be helpful to give an example. You take a, a trip with some uh, Christian friends to a cabin in the North Woods. It's a quiet evening. You are relaxing by the fire, and your buddy offers you a cigar. And you maybe you're a bit startled. You're like, well, uh, I, I've never smoked because I thought Christians don't smoke. Christians aren't supposed to do that. Uh, and your friend says, well, Charles Spurgeon smoked a cigar. C.S. Lewis smoked a pipe. I'm like, why not? Now, here I need to pause before I get in trouble with any more parents than I am already. Do not, do not hear me saying, if, if, you've, if, you've, if you've zoned out here, do not hear me saying, smoking, not smoking. It's all the same. What's the difference? No big deal. Uh, the point is, don't elevate that issue to biblical law for a Christian when it really comes down to an application of wisdom. You will need to make a wise decision based on any number of reasons, thinking about smoking, your health, the financial cost of a smoking habit, 
your influence on others, not, not to mention secondhand smoke and all those sorts of things. There, there are many other reasons. Spurgeon and Lewis don't prove that it's good to smoke, right? But their example reminds us there's no law against it. It's not like, well, I'm sure it's in here somewhere, you know, like, no, all right? Uh, now, if you're the one being offered the cigar in that point, and at that point, if everything in you says, your moral compass, like, whoa, 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 Christians don't smoke, even if that is, has been kind of pounded in you as a simplistic, self-imposed rule, then Paul, say, Paul is saying, it, it is wrong for you. For you, it is unclean. Even if your moral compass may not be calibrated correctly, either way, you need to follow your conscience. Now, why, why does it become wrong for you if it's not objectively wrong? Why is it wrong for you, for you if it's not objectively wrong? Because you must never disregard your moral instincts. Don't do it. Now, pay attention again. See, at that, at that point, if you're like, okay, I guess I'll, I guess I'll take it, and you, you, you light up, you would be, you, if, if everything in you says, no, no, Christians don't smoke, and you're like, okay, and you light up, what you're doing at that point is intentionally deciding to do what you believe in your heart is wrong. That's, what, that's what's happening, and you must not do that. That's a step you dare not take. Don't ignore your compass. So you start down that road where you just like, okay, boy, this feels right. This, this is the right way, I know, but I'm going to do this. Oh, man, don't ignore your compass. You start down that road. When will you stop? And frankly, the more you do it, the easier it is to ignore that moral compass. When your conscience gives you the yellow light, do not hit the accelerator, you may do that in driving, but that may be your thing. But when your conscience gives you the yellow light, whoa, 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 whoa. I was talking with someone recently who confided in me about something that wasn't sin per se. Uh, probably, though, on the line, probably certainly put themselves in an unwise position. And they, they said to me, yeah, you know, the fact that I didn't want to tell you about what I did was sort of a clue that deep down I knew that I shouldn't have done it. Their conscience was, was talking to them. Listen to your conscience. I appreciate that person. I mean, it doesn't have to be me. I'm not the confessional booth. Either, but, but you can to another brother or sister in Christ, you know, it's, it's good to, you know what, I'm just going to get this out there because I, I need to listen to that voice. Listen to your conscience. It's possible, yes, your, your personal conscience may need to loosen up. Maybe it needs to tighten up. Uh, but you should never go against it. That's part of what is going on in this passage. So look at the end of uh, verse 22, right before the end of the chapter. Verse 22 says, uh, the end of the verse, blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Uh, passing judgment on yourself is having a guilty conscience. Oh, blessed is the one who doesn't have to have a guilty conscience because you, you're operating uh, in concert with following, following your own conscience. The idea of blessed here is not that, oh, blessed, hashtag blessed, God's just showering me with, with uh, gifts and, and good times. No, ble- blessed in this verse has the idea of you are just in a sweet spot of, of peace, of, of rest, uh, with nothing to fear, Whew, because 
You don't have that little voice nagging at you. Like, you know you shouldn't have done that. No, you're not living with guilt that is stealing your joy. You're not living with shame that makes you want to hide. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, you can live with a fearless transparency and an openness, a freedom. That's where you want to be. That's the blessed life that he's talking about, a clear conscience. That's what you want. Now, look at verse 23 again. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Now, that, that, that just ratchets up the, the situation significantly, because we've, we've gone, we've now shifted from something that is uh, simply, well, some people do it this way, some people do it that way, some people see it this way, some people are convinced, persuaded this way, that way. No, acting against your conscience is sin, and sin brings condemnation. We're talking about some real spiritual danger right now, and we'll see this even more as we move into part two. So, in matters of personal conviction, for God's sake, be constructive. So, this is part two, for God's sake. Put God's redemptive purposes before your personal preferences. Put God's redemptive purposes before your personal preferences. So look at a couple of different verses, one from each paragraph. Verse 15, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Now look at the beginning of the next paragraph, verse 20. It says almost the same thing. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. I'll just stop there. Now, this is, this is not complicated. What's more important? You getting to eat what you want to eat and possibly, in the context here, encouraging a weaker believer to go against their conscience, which is really to fall, for them to fall into sin, to be condemned, or what, what, what's more important, that or you taking your brothers and sisters in, in Christ into account and out of a concern for their eternal spiritual well-being, you freely forego what you are permitted to enjoy by your conscience. This is what Paul encourages in, in another passage that's very similar to this one, 1 Corinthians 8 11 through 13. In fact, you could, if you wanted to do more study on this, on these issues, taking time with 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 8, 9, and 10 would give you that. We can't go through all of that. And the issues are slightly different there. Um, you can pay attention to that as well. But let me just read from 1 Corinthians 8, 11 to 13. Paul says, uh, and he's talking to the stronger brothers, so to speak. He says, and so by your knowledge, that means what you know is perfectly fine. He said, by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. This brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Now, again, the issues are not specifically, you know, being a carnivore versus being a vegetarian. Again, they were issues in the Romans context of apparently Jewish kosher laws in 1 Corinthians, more specifically meat that was being offered to pagan idols was creating the conscience issues. So it's not about meat specifically per se, but some practice that is permissible 
and yet gets complicated when others are think, well, maybe we shouldn't do that. Now, back to the way that, that verse, um, verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 8, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. That, that ending sounds extreme. Never. We'll never do what makes a brother stumble. So, so if, if I know a, a fellow Christian who thinks we shouldn't go to movies, does that mean we all can't go to movies? Or, or, we, or if we have somebody who's uh, in our congregation who's especially um, concerned about environmental issues that, that I should never use styrofoam or something like that uh, because it's, it's clogging up all the landfills, I, I'm, I'm not saying that there's no wisdom in, in those, some of those decision, conscience decisions that you may make. There might be wisdom there. But the, do we make it a law for everyone? Do we have to find, do we have to kind of figure out, okay, who has the, uh, the, the, the strictest convictions among our congregation, then we all have to do the same thing. You know, then it's like we're all weak. So, okay, that doesn't quite work. Later in that same context, 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about abstaining for the sake of a weaker brother's conscience. And he, then he says this, 1 Corinthians 10, 29 and 30. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? Uh, why should I be unnecessarily restricted for the sake of their conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? Sounds very much like earlier in Romans 14. It's not saying that your liberty is constricted across the board at all times. As I understand the, uh, this text, both in 1 Corinthians and Romans 14, Paul is saying you should limit yourself, particularly when you might have a negative influence on that weaker brother. So let's make it real simple. When you're with them. I mean, you, when, when you are, have a situation where you are likely to influence them in a negative way, in a way that would go against their conscience. Now, you, that, yeah, most specifically when you're with them, maybe that includes the kinds of things that you would uh, post online where everybody sees. Certainly when we're gathered together as fellow believers where we have to think through, okay, um, uh, how, how, am I gonna, how are we going to operate together in a way that encourages and doesn't uh, distract or doesn't confuse or doesn't make a brother stumble, a sister uh, stumble in their faith. Now, this, this way that I'm putting this together in ways that just, okay, when we're together, uh, that's when we need to be most concerned about this, seems to line up with verse 22 here in Romans 14. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. And again, not faith as in, I believe in Jesus. Faith is in, in what you believe to be right and wrong in that particular situation. Uh, now, again, you got to think carefully. The faith that you have keep between yourself and God. Is this don't ask, don't tell? Um, do, you, do you drink? Don't ask, don't tell. Like that's, that's not, I don't think that's what's going on here exactly because the passage shows as a whole can show that it can be appropriate to discuss uh, your convictions. It can be appropriate to say, hey, this is I, I believe, according to Scripture, as, as Paul says, hey, I, I know and I'm convinced in the Lord and persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. You're, it's appropriate to discuss your convictions appropriately. But you shouldn't, here's where, you, here's how you keep it between yourself. You shouldn't act, knowingly act against your brother's convictions, your sister's convictions, when you are together, when you're with them, whether that's uh, just in their presence, wherever, or especially when we gather together as a church. Now, all of that is important. 
But what I really want to get to in this part of the sermon is more important, the most important part of this is the motivation, not the application. How do we do this? When do we do this? Where do we do this? How do we decide what do we do and what not to do? It's about your concern for the fellow believer. And even beyond that, even deeper than that is what is expressed here in this passage. Why should you be willing in certain situations to forego your freedom, to surrender your rights, to abstain when you could enjoy? Before we look again at some of the words in this text, I want you to think about, just imagine uh, some of the ways that these situations must have been playing out in that church in Rome that caused Paul to include it in this letter. And we don't have to, you know, get fanciful in our imaginations, come come up with a completely crazy scenario. Just looking at, at the text, you can see that Christians choosing to express their shared devotion to God in different ways, some having to do with their Jewish heritage, disagreeing over how best to be set apart from the world, these are some of the things that resulted from that. Going by what Paul had said earlier in verse 3, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Okay, so now, now now's your imagination. What, what, are, what does that seem to imply about the tone, the, the, the temperature level in the church? You got some people despising other people. You got some people passing judgment on the other people. And it's like, oh, this is tense. It is, I mean, it's getting a little ugly. It's getting, it's getting personal. I mean, you can see it, 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 these folks have, they have gone beyond just discussing the issues in a, you know, careful um, thoughtful discussion of the issues, it's gotten to emotional attacks on other people. It's, this is not a fun place to be right, right now. Now, uh, we see then as uh, some are saying, hey, you're looking on others with contempt. Some are making accusations. They were all perfectly willing to malign each other to assume the worst about each other. So Paul cannot simply say, hey, you're arguing about food when people are more important. Well, they've already turned on the people. (laughs) They've already turned against one another. So that's not even enough. Hey, but he has to say, there's a different way to look at these other people. Don't look at, oh, well, they're the ones who eat that food. Or, oh, they're the ones who've compromised. They're the ones who are so, you know, tight and, uh, and, and worried about what everybody else is thinking. Like, and it's, it's suddenly become very hostile. He says, these, you, have to, you have to look at people differently. Look at the people that are around you, even in this room, differently in light of the God and His redemption that they share. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. We're, we're family. We're, we're family because of Jesus, because of the faith that we all share. And when you do what you want to do without consideration of your brother or sister, can't you see that person as someone for whom Christ died? That's the, the, such a powerful phrase there in verse 15. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. If you don't care about this person, that person, him or think, look at them as someone for whom Christ died. Jesus went to the cross for him. He took the nails for her. He gave up his life for them. And you're not willing to give up, I don't know, your Miller Lite? I I, I don't know. Okay, if you want to drink responsibly at home, 
when you're, or when you're eating out, I, I don't want you to, like, oh, we've got to worry about who's, who's looking, who's here seeing me, uh, who's watching me check out of the grocery store. But it, it, that's, not, that's not how we're supposed to live. But it probably means we're not going to bring, you know, a keg to the church picnic. Well, we, we don't. We don't do that. Um, yeah, that was a little funny. I, thought, yeah. um, I, think, I think that careful balance that, that fine line is reflected there in verses 16 to 18. Uh, do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So we have to ask ourselves, when we are caught up in in debates about non-essential issues, uh, may, maybe that are that, that have some impact, um, that that are important for us to think about. But we've elevated them to uh, to where we're now. We're just attacking one another. Is do you do you know what the kingdom of God is about? Do you really do you really understand what the kingdom of God is about? Take a, a, t- a different issue than food or drink. How about how about dancing? That used to be a hot debate uh, among Christians. And I would agree that clubs, a lot of places where people go to dance, are places that are not conducive for godliness. Let's just take, a, take an honest look at, at, at places like that. You can do that. But, that. but does that mean that dancing is wrong? That you shouldn't do it at your wedding? Can we make a, a biblical case for dancing in worship? <laughs> Yes, yes, you can, <laughs> but you but you might give enough thought to holding back some when we're together. Uh, maybe you you probably we probably could stand to move more, but we also need to be mindful of who we're with. That's that's you just have to think about that. Not because we have to limit ourselves to the strictest person in the room. Find the strictest person in the room, and then then we're just going to go there. But because. We want to worship together, and, and we want to do so in a way that allows us to focus on Christ together. The kingdom of God is not about dancing or drums or electric guitars, and that, frankly, should be a message to both the strong and the weak on all sides of the debate. The kingdom of God is not about drums or electric guitars or dancing. And it's, the kingdom of God is not about grand pianos or pipe organs or robed choirs. Some things are just not that important. The work of God is the bigger picture. It's the bigger picture of, what's, of what is important. And in every precious individual, God's work in them, the one for whom Christ died, that's what the kingdom is all about. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit in each person and among us as God's people. Now, hopefully we're clarifying the situation in matters of personal conviction and the motivation for God's sake and for your brother, for God's sake. Here's our dedication, the last part. Be constructive. This is what we need to do. Build up your brother. Be committed to do whatever will build up your brother or sister in Christ. All right, I hope by this point you also have a much clearer understanding of what Paul means when he's talking about stumbling. 
He says, I, I, we don't commit not to do anything that would cause a brother to stumble. It's, it is much more serious than having someone who's, you know, they grew up in a little more, a, stri- a more stricter branch of the Christian faith and, and someone who's maybe a, a, a rule keeper, you know, firstborn, got to keep all the rules or I, I don't know, whatever. They're just wound a little tighter. I don't, they, and, and they're saying, you're doing something, they're saying, oh, I'm offended by that. That's not stumbling. It's not stumbling that somebody just says, well, I don't, I don't like that. I, I'm, I'm offended by that. When Paul says in verse 13, uh, look at it again, therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. He's talking about putting a brother or sister in Christ into a spiritually perilous position. Remember our whole context. Causing them to go against their conscience, which is really to lead them into sin and to condemnation. That's that's what we're talking about. So putting them into a spiritually perilous position, don't do it. You're not worried about just offending somebody. You're worried about that bigger issue. There's probably all kinds of ways that you might offend somebody that you just don't need to worry about. Like, just let them be offended. But if you're going to lead somebody into a spiritually perilous position, don't do that. By the way, that also means, if you have that, keep that whole picture in mind, you don't have to worry about, uh, again, offending busybodies or people who push their convictions merely to control other people. You don't have to do that. You should be concerned about the weak. Look at, look at 20, uh, verse 20 one more time. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. He affirms that position on the issue. Everything is indeed clean, food-wise, on the issue of kosher food, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It's wrong. It's wrong to do that. It's wrong to make a brother stumble. So now what was perfectly fine for you to do has become wrong for you. If they go against their conscience... What's not wrong becomes wrong for them. If you do something that leads someone to go against their conscience, what was not wrong for you has become wrong. Wow. To go back to that passage earlier, that uh, 1 Corinthians 8, 11 to 13, remember, did you hear him say, you are sinning against a brother, therefore you are sinning against Christ when you do that. And I think the word here in Romans 14, destroy, verse 15, verse 20, also helps us to understand what he means by building up, to build them up. Building them up, somebody up is not kind of a mushy sense of encouragement. Like, hey, you go, girl. I mean, like, you're awesome. Like, I really believe in you. You, 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 you just get out there and do this. You got this. To, to build them up in this context is to do the opposite, of course, of causing them to stumble. The opposite of destroy. Don't be destructive. Be constructive. And while it is not the emphasis of the passage, I think there is good reason to believe that sometimes the way to build up believers is to help, help them calibrate their conscience. It is talking through the issues like Paul is doing here in a roundabout way. He's talking through the issues. You look at, again, look at 1 Corinthians 8 through 10, or you could look at another passage I haven't mentioned, 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. Again, if you want to tease this out some more, 1 Timothy 1 through 5 would be excuse me, 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. I am going to read one other passage to you right now, Colossians 2. 
You may want to turn there or you can just listen. Colossians 2 is another passage that speaks to some of these issues. So it's not, again, not don't ask, don't tell in terms of, well, we just don't talk about such things. Paul is going to address things in ways that challenge us as believers to calibrate our consciences, to get clear on what is good and what is right, and so that we're not hurting one another and we're not not unnecessarily um, leading others astray. Colossians 2, verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism. That's a just, I'm going to give up this, and I'm going to abstain from that. That's kind of asceticism. Think of a monk that takes a vow of poverty or of silence, or I'm only going to wear, go around barefoot in rags. Asceticism. Uh, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in details about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Regulations such as, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings, man-made rules, so to speak. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Yeah, we, sometimes we do have to talk about the issues. We, we have to address these concerns and we have to excuse me, help one another get clear on what is right and wrong. You've probably heard some of these same echoes of Colossians 2 in Romans 14. Colossians 2, if I could put these passages together in another way, Colossians 2 is a Christ-centered approach to confronting legalism, unnecessary rules, sort of an extra strictness. And he says, hey, they don't do any good in actually promoting godliness, promoting holiness. On the other hand, other side of the same coin, Romans 14 is a Christ-centered approach to surrendering your freedom, which should not turn you into a legalist. Let me say that again if you could, to help you follow. Colossians 2 is a Christ-centered re- approach to confronting legalism. Don't put all those extra rules. Romans 14 is a Christ-centered approach to surrendering your freedom. It's addressing the other side of the, of the aisle, so to speak. That should not turn you into a legalist, but you want to become someone who so values God's grace in a weaker brother that you will modify your behavior in certain situations for their good, for their good. Why? Because you love them. He said that earlier in Romans 14. If your brother, verse 15, if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. This is bigger than just getting along. It's just, it's bigger than I like you, so I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll kind of work with you to negotiate this. Like, I love you as a brother and sister in Christ. I, I want for you, I want God's work in you to, to be preserved and to go forward. And so that's what's compelling to me. That pushes me to behave in a different way. Like verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good 
to build him up. For Christ did not please himself. We'll talk about that next week. But again, Christ, a Christ-centered approach of surrendering your rights. You who are strong, who are free in Christ, also have an obligation to the weak. Does that word ring a bell? Romans 13, 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. This is your obligation to those who belong to Christ Jesus. And by his, for Christ's sake and for his example, by his example. We'll, we'll, again, we'll talk about that next week as we get into chapter 15. So do we please our neighbor in order simply to submit to their sense of right and wrong? You don't have to adopt their conscience. Their conscience doesn't have to become your conscience. That's not the goal. We please them for our good. Your conscience should be attuned to, I love this person for Christ's sake. That's, that, that your conscience should be very, and so it would be wrong for me to do anything that would lead them astray. Verse uh, 2 of uh, chapter 15 just repeats what Paul had said already in verse 19 of 14. So then, 14, 19, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. We should all be working to build up one another, not despising one another, not passing judgment. Let's, how about doing this for one another? Pursuing peace, building one another up. That's the call. Brothers and sisters, this is what Paul says, this is what we should be pursuing. This should be our commitment. Decide never to put a stumbling block in front of another believer. Go hard after finding common ground, making peace. Run to an opportunity to build up your fellow believers. That might be sometimes discussing your convictions, but other times it might just be silently, just, you know what, I, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to walk with you in the way that you do things because I don't want to mess you up. We cannot let our disagreements, our differences and convictions drive us apart. We should not let also, if I can say in closing, we should not let our preferences and the things that please us cause us to retreat in our own private spaces. Well, I don't want to cause a brother to stumble, so I guess I'll stay home and drink and dance by myself. Like, no, no, that's not the point. Yeah, exercise freedoms when you can, but don't isolate yourself so you can just do what you want. That's not the kingdom of God either, folks. The kingdom of God is not about these lesser issues. The kingdom of God is about people for whom Christ died. Their life, their growth, their spiritual health, their eternal well-being. And so let's go for it. Let's, let's, we need each other in matters of personal conviction for God's sake. Let's be constructive. Let's build up our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we confess that it would be perhaps easy for, for some of us to think, oh God, why didn't you just, why didn't you just spell it all out for us? Yeah, the, book, the Bible would be a lot bigger, but, but why didn't you just write it on the sky, do something, give us more additions, more volumes to the book, so, just we, so we know, just, just spell it out. Um, God, we're, we're going to trust you right now that you know what you're doing. Um, we trust you right now that in some way it seems that you have created each of us with, with minds, with capacities for thought. You created us with, with a, a capacity to, to choose and to decide. And to, you've given us a conscience and the capacity to form convictions 
And Lord, we don't want to be, let us not be a people without convictions. Oh no, God, help us be convinced uh, that we ought to live intentionally and decisively for your sake in this world. But Lord, where we bump up against one another in trying to um, earnestly, sincerely live faithfully, God, help us to extend grace to one another. Help us to, to, uh, to always be spurring one another on toward uh, the kind of things that you, we know you want from us. And I pray that, that when that all comes together, that the world sees a beautiful picture of a people who are not cookie-cutter Christians, but a beautiful, variegated, colorful palette of believers who all love and serve the same God, devoted to Christ, looking for his kingdom that is coming and the kingdom that is being formed, that is being populated even now as the gospel goes forward among us. Be glorified in whatever we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.